Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. This is Pop Health Week on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks. This episode is brought to you by Health Innovation Media. And welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show. And in the virtual studio today, as always, is my colleague, Fred Goldstein, principal co-host and co-founder of Pop Health Week. Hey, Fred, how was your fourth? Fourth was fantastic. A nice, beautiful day here in Florida. And how about yourself? Oh, it was awesome. Lake Tahoe, South Lake Tahoe fireworks are listed in the top five displays on the fourth. And I'll tell you, it was impressive. The casinos here in the city of South Lake Tahoe put on a spectacular show. So let me tell you about Fred. For those of you not familiar with him, he's a veteran healthcare executive and the president of Accountable Health LLC, which is a Jacksonville, Florida-based consulting firm. Fred serves on the editorial board of the population health of the journal of population health management and the best practices review panel for the institute for medicaid innovations which is i believe a part of the medicaid health plans of america he's also past chair and former board member of the population health alliance fred is known on twitter as at fs goldstein my background includes thought leadership and strategy consulting for hospitals, health systems, and physician-led ventures. I publish and principally author aclwatch.com, healthinnovationmedia.com, and precisionmedicine.center. And now for today's special guest, Lori Osachi, who's the director for the Body Image Counseling Center, whose bio reads... I want to live in a world free from eating disorders and body hatred. Mm, that, that one got me. Osachi is a nationally recognized authority in the treatment and prevention of eating disorders, depression, anxiety, and related mental health issues, and has successfully counseled adults, children, and families for over 20 years. She regularly lectures, teaches, and is the author of numerous articles promoting eating disorders, education, (laughs) she's now promoting eating disorders, among healthcare professionals and the lay population. She has been featured in several national magazines and is a regular mental health consultant for print news and television. She received her BA from Cornell University in Ithaca, New York, and her MSS from Bryn Mawr Graduate School of Social Work and Social Research. And with that introduction, Fred, over to you. Help us get to know Lori and what she's up to, especially on this July 5th, one day after the 4th of July. Thanks so much, Greg. And Lori, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Fantastic. And this is really an interesting issue, you know, coming at this, thinking about it from a population health perspective. I don't know that it gets as much attention as possibly it should, and I'm sure we'll get into that. But can you give me a little background, Lori, on how you got into this field? 
Well, I always tell people I was doomed because my father was a school counselor, so it ran in the family <laughs> to, <laughs> to help others in that way. So also, you know, growing up and being a woman, I, I really did see a lot of women around me, people I love suffering from eating disorders, and there definitely was not a lot of help for them growing up. So uh, it became a passion of mine, women's issues in general. But uh, on top of that, it's become a men's issue too. And and yeah, you, you sort of jumped right into that a little bit. When you talk about eating disorders, you said you know, it's it, women, obviously, we recognize that well, but it's also an issue for men. And how so? What are you seeing in that area? Well, we're seeing, I'm seeing more and more men and boys come into my practice for help with eating disorders. They're, they're exhibiting more eating disorder symptoms and um, needing help with that. And, and it's hard enough to get help when you're a woman. It's even harder for, for a male. There are not many inpatient eating disorder treatment programs that will even accept men for treatment. So it's it's even harder on them. And when you talk about eating disorders for our audience, could you give me some sense of the types and the breadth of eating disorders? Right. So the way I kind of explain it is that there are diagnosable eating disorders, clinically diagnosable. So you have anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, compulsive overeating, eating disorder not otherwise specified. However, there's really a continuum, I think, um, of eating disorders where it's my belief that we all have some form of disordered eating because we live in an eating disordered society. So even though it's not uh, necessarily clinically diagnosable for everyone, we can be diet obsessed. Or And there, and there are a lot of um, conditions that haven't made it into the DSM yet. For example, we're seeing a lot more people coming in obsessed with clean eating, and the term that's been coined for that is orthorexia, you know, kind of starting wanting to eat healthy and clean and then restricting more and more the type of food you eat and the amount where it becomes eating disordered. Uh-huh. And so you, you mentioned anorexia nervosa and bulimia, and those are the two that people probably know the best. And mm-hmm. what could you explain those a little bit further? Right. So the clinical definition of anorexia nervosa is, Losing, uh, losing, only being 85% of your ideal body weight along with feeling like you're fat. The thinner you get, the fatter you feel. It's the most dangerous of the eating disorders, I think, because uh, there's a lot of denial. Uh, it's um, the people who, who have anorexia really don't think they have a problem, and the thinner they get, the more denial they're in. Bulimia nervosa is when people are purging either through vomiting, compulsive exercise, laxative abuse, or diuretic abuse uh, to try to lose weight. They are usually aware of, aware of the behavior, so it's not easy to treat, but easier when the person isn't in denial about the behaviors. And, and denial is obviously a, a big issue, and I think I, I saw this also mentioned on your website. So. For those people with anorexia nervosa and you, you have this body image counseling, do they look in the mirror and they see, they, they say, I see, I look overweight. Is that, I mean, is that real in a sense? Is it, do they just, do they, how, how do they understand that condition or do they just not see it and are completely denying it? I, I think it's a lot of denial and fear. 
And usually, the, you know, people don't come to me for help with anorexia usually. It's their family members, you know, who are, are, are terrified watching them go through this, and they're denying that there's a problem. So it's usually the family members contacting me for help with their, either their minor child or their adult, adult family member who's refusing to get treatment. Yeah, and I remember early on years ago, uh, a friend of mine who I just suddenly recalled seemed very thin, and then and then I realized, you know, she was wearing multiple layers of clothing and things to try to make herself look a little bit larger, I guess, to hide what was going on. And as you said, it, it really is a matter of somebody else, I guess, identifying and and referring that person in for treatment. Is that versus bulimia, where they more often than not might recognize it. Well, usually, yes, usually with bulimia, honestly, people usually have had enough of it. They're experiencing some of the consequences, the physical consequences of purging, and they're really ready to come get help. But it can take years for people to ask for help. They live with it a long time. Either that or it's parents, you know, trying to get help for their teenagers. And what are some of the... the, the the physical risks that people face with these kinds of uh, conditions and diseases? Well, of course, when you're starving to death, you have all kinds of physical complications ranging from poor electrolyte balance to, uh, to heart failure to, um, to, to starvation symptoms, hair falling out, um, passing out. And with bulimia, there can be, um, Holes in the esophagus, again, electrolyte problems, loss of a period, you know, uh, lots of physical symptoms. The good news, though, is is a lot of these symptoms are reversible once recovery is achieved, even with bulimia. Studies have found that even people who have been long-term bulimics, once they achieve full recovery, a lot of the damage can be reversed. So it's very hopeful. People should not give up, even if they've been purging for years and years. That's that's great. Let me ask you this question too. It suddenly dawned on me. So I would assume some of these people are seeing their primary care physician or their doctor. Is it normal yes. for you to get referrals from physicians for this, or do they also maybe sometimes not recognize it? Both. I get a lot of referrals from doctors, and mm-hmm. sometimes there are doctors that just well, you know, it's not always the doctor's fault. It's, they're very secretive illnesses, mm-hmm. and they're illnesses of denial. So a lot of times the patient won't tell the doctor. And with bulimia, there's not a lot of physical signs unless it's severe. So, you know, a lot of times a doctor won't know. A dentist might know more than a doctor with bulimia because they'll see the erosion on the tooth enamel from purging. With anorexia, usually the doctors, of course, see that sooner. They see Mm -hmm. the low weight. But I have to say, honestly, sometimes, and I'm a big fan of doctors. You know, we work with doctors all the time on the treatment team to help people get better. So it's, But there is a push towards being thin and losing weight in the medical community for heart health. And I think sometimes that complicates a doctor's ability to determine if there's an eating disorder, a co-occurring eating disorder. Yeah, and I'm just thinking about this, you know, as we move to these more value-based care models and individuals are more responsible for the overall health of their their panel of patients or their population, that that being able to appropriately identify this um, would become an important tool to have for primary care practitioners um, as they move into these newer models. Not only primary uh, practitioners, but therapists. 
There are a lot of therapists that are not adequately trained on how to treat eating disorders. And the good ones will say so and refer out, but a lot of them don't. And people Uh will continue to see them without getting proper care. But absolutely, I I would say it goes both ways. We need to integrate mental health and the physical, the medical model together. Because there are times that uh, a patient will walk in here presenting with an eating disorder, but it's not an eating disorder. It's a medical issue. So you always have to rule out the possible medical diagnoses as well before you, you diagnose with an eating disorder. Interesting. That's that's really interesting. And, and I know that, you know, there's a push now, obviously, to begin to set up these more formal integrations between primary care and uh, and behavioral and mental health experts and, and essentially provide that broader practice structure. So this is clearly one area that hopefully over time gets better addressed by that type of a model. I agree. Uh, the eating disorder treatment model is, is perfect for that kind of a integrated team effort. Uh-huh. And you talked a little bit about men. What is the, I know, I think from your website, I talked more about, um, you know, bulking up and being a sport looking kind of thing. And so the eating disorders for, for boys and men tend to be more around that than maybe anorexia. Is that correct or not? Well, there are, I do see men and boys with anorexia, but we often see a lot of athletes. We see a a large athlete population where boys are not getting enough nutrition and they're sometimes purging too, especially in sports where they need to make weight, you know, like wrestling or, right. So (laughs) certain sports are more prone to development of eating disorders. And there are other populations too, Uh, military personnel are more prone to eating disorders because they have to pass physical readiness tests. And so often they, not everyone, but many of them will diet down and purge to make weight to pass their PRTs. And that can lead to the development of a lifelong eating disorder. So they're surprising populations. Interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. And when you're, when you look at this approach and then somebody comes in for counseling, what are some of the issues that are being worked on and and uh, and how do you get that person to a more successful and healthy place? That's a great question. Well, first of all, even though the eating disorder is very life-threatening, it's a symptom. It's a symptom of an underlying problem. It's a coping mechanism, a faulty one. And so part of the treatment is you have to get to the underlying cause but also be treating the symptom. That's the key. You can't do one and not the other. So a lot of times therapists will just go, go to the cause, but, but the person will continue to starve and purge, and they're not taking care of that. Or they're just taking care of the symptom and not dealing with the underlying cause, so that sets them up for relapse once they leave treatment. So part of the way we treat eating disorders effectively is to use a team treatment approach. So we work with a nutritionist, a dietitian, sometimes a psychiatrist, and always the patient's doctor to all work together to be monitoring the physical and emotional symptoms and treating the entire person. And is 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 this something that's similar? You know, I come with the background in running uh, substance abuse psych hospitals. Is this something similar to an addiction type treatment approach, or different from that, or how does that work? That's a good question. I, 
I don't think that eating disorders are an addiction. They have found genetic markers for eating disorders, but uh, an abstinence model does not work for eating disorders because you're using you're using them to soothe. And so if you cut it off entirely and you don't replace with something else or understand why they are, you know, that they arise to try to protect you, then you don't deal with the underlying cause. You can't just go cold turkey on purging uh, and get better. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, it does. And you talked about this team approach, um, and in it, I think you mentioned nutritionists and dietitians. Um, what's the importance of that, and how does that work? Well, the nutritionists, mo- you know, monitor the meal planning monitor the nutrition intake and help the person to be able to, if they're starving, eat what they're supposed to be eating. And I'm not qualified to do that. I'm not trained as a dietitian and a dietitian is not trained as a therapist. And so if you're seeing a therapist, which unfortunately I say is because I've seen it happen, people have come and told me that I was seeing my therapist and they gave me a meal plan. That's a no, no, you know, you need to be seeing someone who's qualified and trained in each area or a nutritionist that's doing the counseling. So the nutritionist really keeps track of the patient medically and makes sure they're, they're helping them increase the meal plan to a healthy level or to modify it to a healthy level while they're doing the therapy. So, so your recommendation is if you're going to be, when, when you look for treatment providers for somebody with an eating disorder, it should be including a therapist and a nutritionist or dietitian, as well as a doctor, obviously? Absolutely. In fact, I will rarely see a person for an eating disorder unless they are also seeing the nutritionist. Mm-hmm. That makes it's, sense. It's, right. I, I won't, they won't get better. I tell them it's like rowing a boat with one oar. You might get a little further, but you're really going to be going in circles. You need, you need both oars to move ahead. Got it. Let's, let's talk about something you've done that, that goes into the technology space a bit. And, uh, and it's just kind of an interesting approach to this. Obviously you're located in Jacksonville. You have a certain amount of reach you can do through your, your, your counseling and your sessions and pulling together a team, but you've now launched a text messaging service called text to be well. Tell me about that. So it's always been a passion of mine, as you know, as it says in my bio, to eradicate eating disorders and body hatred within my lifetime. And we need a way to, to help people improve their body image, men and women, and especially young people. There's a, lot, uh, there's a lot of bullying in schools, and it's almost as if making some fun of someone's weight and appearance is the last acceptable prejudice. And I, I really want to turn that around. So what we did was we, in partnership with CareWire, who provides the fantastic text messaging technology that we're using for this program, is we created a, an, it's really a 16-week positive body image program that you can receive from the privacy of your cell phone. So what it is, is each week the person receives a tip to improve body image, and then they receive a a challenge or an action step, and then they receive a link to participate in a forum where they can get advice from me, coaching from me, and also to help each other and support each other to improve body image. Wow. And there are affirmations as well. So all of this is, is... can be received on the smartphone and it's a way to reach a lot more people 
and and help them to turn turn this negative message these negative messages around. Uh huh. And so obviously, you know, it's a it's a new attempt to use technology, which everybody has, and make it easier for them to begin accessing these systems. And so did you take what you do sort of clinically or is it a subset of that that you then run through this app? You talked about improving their body image, um, which I guess is a little different than maybe working with uh, uh, right. someone with anorexia or bulimia. Right. This is not an eating disorder treatment program. This is not for eating disorders. This is a mm-hmm. coaching program for positive body image. I don't think it would be appropriate, you know, to treat an eating disorder by your phone. <laughs> right. Certainly. But we but definitely negative body image is is much more widespread and it can lead to eating disorders. So if we can turn that around for kids, uh, and even for their parents, you know, who who are modeling to their kids, then mm-hmm. I'm hoping that it, it can lead to a reduction of eating disorders. Uh-huh. And you talked some about the you know this whole the body image stuff and the bullying and the the um the other things associated with how people treat folks who may be overweight or underweight um obviously we have a society that's you know because of how we are this weight has been continuing to grow in our society we get more and more individuals who are labeled as obese um are you seeing obviously then more and more individuals who are getting stressed by bullying or other activities in, in these various locales or schools or through job selection or things like that? Oh, definitely all the time. I think that's always been around, unfortunately. And mm-hmm. what's very interesting is I'll see people who are thin as adults. They're suffering from anorexia, from bulimia, but they're, they're a normal or underweight, but they were obese as children and they still feel, and they were bullied. And they still feel that effect, even though they don't look the same. So it can mm-hmm. scar you for life. You know, it, it's really hard to turn turn those messages around from the time you were young. But also seeing larger sized people that are discriminated against and bullied. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate. I think people are very afraid of weight. And it's not that it's not an issue. And, uh, you know, I always say that, when you're eating according to hunger, you reach your natural weight. So I'm not saying it's okay to to be to to eat to do emotional eating. But if you are a larger size when you're eating according to hunger, we all come in different shapes and sizes. We're not all going to be a size zero. You know, the average wo- woman's size is a size 14 in America, not a size two, and right. for men as well. You know, so we need to work on accepting people that look different. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Absolutely. And that brings up an interesting thing. I've seen this on Twitter and some other places and, and even on LinkedIn when people are arguing about this issue of weight and particularly weight in the United States and people who have it, you know, uh, how how to appropriately address that. And I guess it's kind of pretty clear that this idea of sh- shaming people into losing weight is just flat out wrong. Oh, it's so complicated. It's so much easier to blame the individual, I think, than it is to blame class issues or corporation issues. For example, you know, people who live in food deserts and they don't have access to healthier foods, you know, that's not their fault. Uh, or cheap fast food that's not nutritious. It's, it's much easier for some people to blame the individual than to look at the larger societal structures that make it more difficult. 
Yeah, and you, you sort of just nailed it on the head. It's all those social determinants of health. If you've got no place to walk that's safe, or like you said, a food desert, et cetera, there's a good likelihood we're going to have a weight issue in that community because we haven't provided appropriate places to solve the problem. Absolutely. And on top of it, we have a culture that glorifies starvation, you know, and that's not, not a good thing either. Most people are not obese, you know, and so we have to modify our standards and be more realistic about what real people look like. And that's part of what this text to be well program is all about. It's about truthfully deprogramming, trying to help you help people fight the power about that to, to question those larger societal problems and not blame themselves while also eating according to hunger and figuring out why they may be emotionally eating or restricting. So it's very complicated. It, it really is. Let me ask you something. I, I just kind of crossed my mind. I, there was, there's been a movement. I know, I think it's in France around models who are, you know, yeah. obviously extremely thin and saying, wait a second, that just, can't use those models they're, they're they're too thin or something is that what you're thinking on that i think it's fantastic and more people should do it <laughs> i mean it's to ask someone to starve themselves for their for their career is is sexist it's it's unhealthy and it promotes eating disorders so i think it's fantastic when <laughs> uh when people are protected in that way that's that's a great answer. Thanks. I think, you know, and we see it, obviously, people grow up in this society. On the one hand, we see these images, as we talk about, whether in the news or in magazines or this and that of these so-called very healthy, very thin people. On the other hand, we have this society that provides a lot of food and obviously other social issues going on. So, you know, we have those two spectrums of people that are struggling because they're trying to get to some thin body image or struggling because they're have just, you know, to not the opportunity to exercise or eat right foods, et cetera. And I guess those are the two ends of the spectrum that you're trying to deal with. Right. And, and honestly, I think part of the answer is empathy. We need to have empathy for the individual and a broader understanding of what's affecting the individual and not be so afraid of fat. You know, we need fat on our bodies to live. <laughs> so more empathy, more understanding, you know, about the complex, the complexity of the issue will lead to better programs, better, uh, more support of our neighbor. So as we, as we look at this changing healthcare system and uh, what, what would you tell providers today who are responsible for a population of patients that they should be doing more of or less of in this area? Well, that's kind of the hope we have for text to be well. We really like to see it implemented by larger systems as a preventative measure to change societal norms. So it would be wonderful to see an insurance company, for example, or a school system implement a program like this in order to promote positive body image and anti-bullying. So I would say think about the prevention. Think about changing societal messages that blame the individual. Got it. So just take it all the way up front like people are talking about. Get out in front of the problem so we don't have people suffering from the problem itself. Deal with the cause instead of the symptoms. 
Right, exactly. I mean, we're bombarded with thousands and thousands of advertisements every day that tell us we have to be thin and perfect. We we don't have a chance unless we have a way to think about it in a different manner, and that's what Text to Be Well is trying to do, to, uh-huh. to provide a different paradigm, you know, for for deprogramming ourselves. <laughs> and And I know it's relatively new. Um, so people have just started using it. Any feedback yet? I think people have felt, you know, we've gotten a lot of positive feedback. Uh, people are, are getting a lot of support online and not feeling so alone. I do think people are do get a little confused about whether it's an app or not. <laughs> right. So it's not an app. It's a text. It's, a, it's delivered on your smartphone. So that's been a little challenging, kind of getting the information out there about what kind of program it actually is. But I think uh, we've gotten a lot of positive support wanting, wanting more. You know. Well, that's amazing. This is a fantastic area. And thank you so much, Lori, for your time and, and uh, educating me and the rest of us on this important issue. Really appreciate it. Oh, well, thanks for having me. It was great. And that'll have to be the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank my co-host, Fred Goldstein, for his thoughtful engagement of our guest, Lori Osachi, MSS, LCSW, the director of the Body Image Counseling Center for their collective time and insights today. Do follow Lori's work on the web at www.bodyimagecounseling.com and on Twitter by at Lori Osachi, and that's L-O-R-I, O-S-A-C-H-Y. And finally, if your hospital, health system, physician venture, or healthcare conference is in the market for social media marketing support, including digital media content development, curation, engagement, or amplification, ping me on Twitter via at 2, the number 2 health guru, or email greg with two Gs at healthinnovationmedia.com. Until we meet again on Pop Health Week, For Fred Goldstein, this is Greg Masters saying bye now and happy birthday, America.